Uh, today's going to be another wonderful day. Life is wonderful. Today we're going to be talking about psychedelics. But before we get to this day's topic, now out is the Recovery Growth Scorecard. We use metrics in business to evaluate business, either performance from people or from activities. Why aren't we using more metrics in recovery? Well, now you can. It is free. I'm telling you, the scorecard is free. It's something that you can do to heal and to detox immediately. Just go to the website, www.lifeiswonderful.love, L-O-V-E, or email me, Hugo V at lifeiswonderful.love. Because what do we always say? Recovery is beautiful. Your EQ is your IQ. And if you're not laughing every day, working hard every day, and loving unconditionally, then we need to just keep pushing that boundary. So today, with no further ado, let's get into this episode of The 1% in Recovery. Matt, how are you doing? Hugo, I am doing well. How are you doing down there in Houston? <laughs> Hot, <laughs> but we're also doing wonderful because <laughs> we're talking about healing. That's right. And just tell everyone, you're right now in Chapel Hill, North Carolina? That's right. Beautiful Chapel Hill, great place to raise kids, lovely colleges, all sorts of good things up here. Excellent. <laughs> tell the audience one thing you love. I love exploring consciousness, trying to dive into my what makes me tick, what's the purpose of life, all of those kinds of questions. So I'm thoroughly enjoying exploring that with and without psychedelics. Mm, excellent. Uh, I agree, man. There's so many different facets of life to explore. And I think we should always be looking at different ways for us to almost push the boundaries of what brings us joy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I always believe that God, higher power did not give us just one talent. He gave us a lot of talents and also a lot of interests. And I just said, just, man, now in this world, we should just be pushing all the different things that intrigue us and get around people that can kind of support that interest, that dream, that goal. Absolutely. We've got, uh, this is our, our, in this body, this is our one, one life that we get. Why not experience and, and, and find those things that energize us, find those pleasure points. Okay. Very quickly, before we get into question one, I need the audience to know we're going to be talking about psychedelics. Just a, just a quick thing about your background. You told me about your master's, about going to England. Quickly just say your background so people understand your expertise and your knowledge. Yeah, I have a book called Psychedelics for Everyone, and I have a master's in psychology and neuroscience. I've spent the last set of years looking at these different medicines and how they're used in a medical context and how they're used in a spiritual context. And uh, that's the information I try to provide. I'm not trying to convince anybody to do anything. I'm just trying to provide some information so people can make an informed decision about what's right for them, what's right for somebody they love, or maybe what's right for society as a whole. Okay. And just tell people where you got your master's? King's College, London. Okay. And because they were one of the leading experts? They are. There's a Imperial College and King's College have both done great work in the world of psychedelics over, over in, uh, in England. Um, and I wanted some, I wanted a master's program that would allow me to focus in on psychedelic therapy and specifically on adults with anxiety. And that's what I was able to do my synoptic project on with them. Um, yeah, super. They're, they're great, great school, great university. 
Okay, let's get into question one. That's exactly what we're talking about. You know, depending on where what study, they say there's about 280 million people suffering with some type of anxiety disorder, 265 million people suffering from some type of depression worldwide. That's actually diagnosed, but I'm sure the numbers are probably higher. But in the end, there's a lot of people that are suffering from anxiety and or depression. So tell us how psychedelics either, you know, how you're trying to treat anxiety, depression, maybe also PTSD, since we're talking a lot with recovery. So many addicts are either trying to get into recovery or they're in recovery. And as they're kind of working their journey, they're still battling. They're still going to be battling with that depression, with that anxiety, PTSD, trauma. So tell us, how does how, how can psychedelics help them? Yeah, what the research shows is it's really going to help in two ways. It's going to change the way you think, and it's going to change uh, how you feel connected to this universe. So I'm going to start with the first piece. How does it change the way you think? When you're taking a psychedelic medicine, regardless of whether you do a legal medicine like ketamine or you do a psychedelic tourism med- uh, where you go to Peru or Costa Rica and you try ayahuasca or psilocybin or one of those, it's going to quiet down your default mode network. So it's going to turn off that inner narrator, the one that's always telling you you're not good enough, you need to do more. That's that's a huge relief. It's then going to allow neurons to fire together that don't normally fire together. And these are ones that... that uh, it's literally the way you used to think when you were a child. Um, so, so as we get older, we start thinking in, in repetitive patterns. Um, literally think about as you're skiing down a mountain, you're, the tracks are getting deeper and you're doing the same run over and over and over. Psychedelics gives a fresh coat of paint to that, or a fresh coat of powder to that, uh, to that track. And now you can remember how to ski all over again. That's a huge uh, remembrance. Psychedelics don't cure anything. It's a catalyst. So you have this thing. You can remember how to think uh, differently, and then you can take that into whatever your whatever your intention is for the journey. So for some people, it's I want to I want to curb my substance use. Okay. Well, what's the root? Where did where did that substance use come from? What were you trying to cover up? How did you start thinking about that? How did you dig that track? And now that you see that there's another way to think about it. What might that look like moving forward? So number one, it changes the way you think. Number two is it connects you to, in many cases, to a to a higher power, whatever it is, however you define that. Um, so in that psychedelic journey, many people report uh, in the research that they feel loved, they feel safe, they feel connected to all people and all things, they feel connected to a higher power. For many people, that's not how they normally live their lives. Um, so you put those two things together, um, and there's other things it does too, but you put those two things together and that allows people to move forward, um, to start working on the intentions that they, that they set. And in the case that we're talking about here, it'd be a substance use changes. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me something when you talk about these, uh, I guess, treatment, these, you would call it like a treatment plan. It can be. So if you do it in the medical model, so you, so maybe you maybe you're maybe you're someone and you're going to go to a doctor and they're going to prescribe ketamine. So in that medical model, they're going to say come in six times over six weeks or something like that, and you're going to do a one hour ketamine journey six different times over these six weeks. Um, that what I just described that's happening in your brain and that connectivity will happen over those six periods. At the end of those six treatments, that doctor might say to you, "Great." If you, if you feel like you need to come in again, come in again. If you don't, don't. 
Or they might say, okay, now that you've done these six, maybe come in once a month or once every two months for a period of time. And let's, let's make sure that, uh, you feel, you feel good about this, this path you're on. That's the medical model. Other people are going to go and they're going to say, okay, I'm going to fly to Mexico and I'm going to do a psilocybin or magic mushroom retreat. And maybe I do mushrooms two times over that, over that course of a few days. That might be enough for them, depending on the facilitator and what their intentions are. So it's each person, um, works with whoever they're working with to decide what is the right amount for them and how often does it, but it's not like the typical medical model where you're going to take some pill every day for the rest of your life. It's that's, that's not at all what we're talking about with any of these psychedelic medicines. No, and I agree that that never liked almost like that big pharma philosophy, like you're on a medication for such a long time or for life instead of trying to just deal with a six week, 12 week, six months, even one year, whatever that time frame, I believe that drugs can be very effective, but I think they need to have some type of almost boundaries with hmm. them. You, with, you're right. You're right on right with on. that. I mean, look at MDMA right now. So MDMA, we grew up, yeah. you and my, you and I grew up calling it ecstasy. Kids right. are doing it in the clubs. They've been using it with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. So picture veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault, people where nothing's worked, not the, no pharmacological solution, no talk therapy. They've given them some therapy, three, three sessions of MDMA and some more therapy, and 67% no longer qualify as having PTSD. This is phase three clinical trials. This is, they are not, this is as serious as we get. This is why MDMA is going to be re-legalized across America this year, maybe beginning of next year, but very soon because of results like that. So drugs can be effective. Psychedelic drugs can be effective, um, but there are boundaries that need to be put on them. And people listening to this, this is again with, with a lot of attention being to, to the source, where did the medicine come from, the, the mindset of the individual and the setting in which they're taking them. And we're seeing results like I just talked about, 67% efficacy. Right, because this is leading into question two, where it's talking about, where I kind of like talk about, I love the, your term, human optimization, mm -hmm. which I also believe is, is that's where when these treatments, so where is this MDNA study being done? And also, where do other studies, are they throughout the US? Or like, let's say we're talking about going to get some type of psychedelic treatment. Mm -hmm. Is there either a website or some type of directory where people can go? Like I'm here in Houston and I know a lot of, a lot of people in addiction community here in Houston. So if they asked me, what would I tell them? The only legal psychedelic right now in America is ketamine legal in all 50 States. It's prescribed off label. So in Houston, you would type in ketamine clinic, in Houston. Now, I'm going to suggest to your listeners that that not all ketamine providers are the same. So if you call up a few of them and ask a few questions, ask, what do you do before and after the treatment? So meaning, are you going to give me some preparation and some intention setting before I ever step in? When I come into the clinic itself, what does it feel like? Is it going to be a medical process where you're going to take my vitals and put an IV in my arm? Or is it more like a living room ceremony? What does it feel like? And then after those sessions, do you help me integrate whatever came up for me back into my life so I can help make uh, take advantage of my brain having some plasticity 
to then suggest behavioral changes that can benefit me, that can help me optimize my life. The ketamine, what I found at least, is ketamine clinics cost around the same, and some treat it purely as a biochemical experience, and others take much more of a holistic approach, and the price doesn't change that much, so it's a buyer beware situation. Those are the types of questions I would recommend your listeners ask if, uh, if legal ketamine is what they're looking for. So is the experience that someone is there, so let's say they are hooked up to some type of electrodes that are monitoring your heart mm-hmm. or some other vitals, is someone there constant, or How I guess, how long are like as a normal session around 45 minutes to an hour? And is someone constantly watching your vitals or is there's also someone in the room taking notes? Like, let's say you're on your psychedelic, I guess, trip for other, whatever word. And is and you, let's say you blurt out something, you know, Grand Canyon, you know, something, <laughs> whatever comes to mind is someone taking notes. So like you said, can then process whatever you experienced either consciously or subconsciously. So in my, so there are ketamine providers who will have someone in there taking notes. In my experience, most of the time um, that people are taking the ketamine, they're, they're quiet. They're in an internal journey. And when they come out, they remember large pieces of it. Um, so the trick is not so much having someone there during the journey. It's having a journal next to you or someone when you come up that you can say, this is what I saw. Um, I guess I'll throw one more thing in. So in clinic, you can either do an IV uh, or an intermuscular shot. Um, there's, and, and that's typically in America, you're talking about three to $6,000 for six sessions. The other option for people in Houston would be to use a, um, the, one of the telehealth companies. Um, there's one called new life. There's another one called mind bloom that I think both work in Texas. Those are where they're going to, they're going to, you're still going to meet with a doctor, but it's a telehealth doctor. They're going to send you lozenges and you're going to do it yourself at home with somebody in the house to, to keep you company. Um, most doctors would agree, um, again, I'm not a doctor, do your own research that you really don't need to be monitoring your vitals. If you are a healthy person going into this, um, unless you have like untreated blood, um, uh, high blood pressure as an example. So then you're talking about $1,200 for six sessions, but you do have to do it yourself at home. Um, so that's another option for those listening who, who want to, who, where cost might be an issue and, and, uh, want to do it themselves. Yeah, but I'm like one of the believers, especially when you're uh, like, like I always say, when I rewrote the 12 steps and the 12 steps explained, I did step two is we need help. You know, so many people want to go on some type of mental health recovery journey mm-hmm. or they want, you know, like everyone wants to either do alcohol free or look, we all try to stop addictions on our own. I'm a big believer is. Your body is, and especially something where you're taking a psychedelic or some type of treatment, it's best to be doing it at least with someone that knows, has a little more experience. It's like when even even if you work the 12 steps, they don't say work the 12 steps by yourself. They say, go get a sponsor, someone who's already done it. Let me clarify though, I'm trying to say here. So what this is, with with the at-home ketamine providers, um, they are going to, you're going to have a doctor. You're, they're going to typically, you're going to meet with a guide in advance. You're then going to actually just do the 45 minutes to an hour by yourself because you can, you're quiet. You're sitting there wrapped okay. in a blanket. 
And then afterwards, they're typically going to connect you with a virtual guide or a therapist who is going to help you unpack it. So you're not by yourself in terms of the um, talk components of it. You just are by yourself during the 45 minutes to an hour that you are on the psychedelic. And with ketamine, that is um, that has been proven to to be an effective way to take that particular one. I would not recommend that for the six or seven hour magic mushroom journey or an LSD journey or an ayahuasca journey. That's totally different. But with ketamine at home with a sitter is, is, is a pretty uh, reasonable way to go. Okay. I appreciate that. That clarifies it. Cause I, I, yeah, of course. I, I, I always believe that when you're trying to do something, clarify the instructions <laughs> before <laughs> over over. you just dump it. Like a lot of people go like, well, I just bought this thing and I just started to assemble it. But did you read the instructions? No, I just started to pull it out. This looked like it goes here. I go, well, that's not always, that's not the best method. It's best to kind of get a little heads up before you venture into anything. But let's get in here to the question three. So you, like I said, almost part of that question too, human optimization. But, you know, I, I'm also seeing psychedelics as a way to almost help people, either someone that may be not dealing so much with anxiety or depression, but that almost needs help in how to dream bigger, to have bigger goals. Because I think as people, we limit ourselves so much. We accept so many either boundaries or things that we were told growing up. Can psychedelics really help someone become more open-minded, almost think bigger about what they can do with their life, so then, like you said, get more out of life, become this optimized version of Matt Hugo or whoever? Absolutely. Absolutely. Psychedelics remind us, and I'm going to use remind because I believe this is in all of us, that we live in an abundant world, that there is enough for everybody, that we are loved, we are capable of being loved, and we are capable of loving others, and that there is uh, there is joy to be had out there. There's enough for everybody. The society in which we've grown up, however, is a scarcity-based society. So from an early age, we're told that so-and-so knows better for us than we do on what makes us happy. We're told to sit in rows and follow the teachers and learn this way at these times and behave this way in these times and that we don't know what's right for us. Um, I think psychedelics help us re- recapture that, um, that abundant mindset. And with that abundant mindset, it changes everything from how do I look at things that happened to me in the past without shame, blame, or guilt to, oh my gosh, if I'm not trying to please somebody because I feel like I have to, to get something, to get the love from our parents or from the teachers or from somebody, then what am I free to do if I just want to fulfill my uh, the things that make my energy come alive in my body? Uh, psychedelics are tremendously powerful for that. So again, whether it's a legal uh, drug like ketamine or whether people are going to the underground or going to psychedelic tourism places, these medicines are powerful for uh, expanding the horizons and finding a new, uh, what's the next chapter going to look like with an abundant paradigm versus a scarcity paradigm. It's almost like it gets into your subconscious, which is the most powerful part of your mind. The subconscious is much more powerful than your conscious mind. But we're always trying to almost be living in our conscious mind, and we never realize, well, the reason we keep doing certain things over and over is because either we've been conditioned or we don't even know what's actually driving our behavior. Yeah, the joke about psychedelics is that it's it's 
when people talk about it as a therapeutic tool is it's years of therapy in a few hours because someone can tell you over and over and again, you should do this, you should do that, you should think this way. And we, we all know, we can all repeat back what those things are, but that doesn't mean we know them in our heart. It doesn't mean we know them in our bodies. The, with, with a psychedelic, it is digging into the, to the subconscious um, so that we feel that we know, not only know the right answer, that we want to do the right thing for us without someone else telling us this is the right thing that you need to do. It's, oh, I want to do this. And that's a huge difference, especially with people who are battling, whether it's a substance use or a behavioral use or behavioral uh, challenge, that same freedom emerges for, for either scenario. All right. We're about to be finished with the podcast, but remind the audience, because within the history, I also like to bring up a lot of people are kind of almost forgetting the early beginnings of the 12 steps Mm -hmm. and Bill W. Tell the audience about Bill W. and his ideas and what he was always thinking about with LSD. Sure. So Bill W.'s, uh, his genesis for his his, uh, sobriety was a spiritual experience that he had. And later, as he discovered LSD, he wanted to introduce LSD into the 12-step program because his premise was not so much that LSD from a biochemical perspective was going to change people's desires to drink or not to drink. It was going to be a forced spiritual experience, that a direct religious experience that most people um, have a challenge achieving. So his premise was, let's give alcoholics uh, LSD in the beginning. That will help them with the first step. They will see and feel connected to a higher power, however, however it is that they define that. And with that knowledge that there is a higher power and that we all are connected, they would then be able to move forward with the steps. And the 12-step program is effectively a spiritual path wrapped around uh, a a, a substance use challenge uh, or behavioral challenge. Um, So obviously, he did not get LSD into the program, but he thought a lot about it, talked about how important LSD was for him. And uh, I think it's super interesting that we've come full circle here in 2023 that the studies with psilocybin, with LSD, with ketamine, and what they're doing for smoking, for alcohol. Ibogaine, what Ibogaine's doing with uh, heroin is incredible. There's just, there's nothing that's showing the same amount of results that uh, that these psychedelics are showing when it comes to substance use challenges. Yeah, so I just did a blog piece on step one where I try to introduce a lot about that history, about when Bill was already his fourth time going back into the famous hospital and talking to Dr. Silkworth and where he did have a spiritual experience. And one of the things said is is that people don't realize in the very first edition of the big book, it was called a spiritual experience. But then subsequent editions, edition two, three, and four, they changed it to spiritual awakening. Hmm. And so, you know, there's always, I think there's both that kind of like play into that, you know, an experience is an experience or, you know, is an awakening, but I think it's a combination. You got to get into those, the emotions, you got to get into the spirituality, you got to get into the behavior, the physical cravings, the mental obsession, all that thing is we battle with all kinds of stuff. And the trauma. I mean, a lot of us had things that happened to us when we were younger that it's not so much the the thing itself, it's how we internalized the thing. Uh, Gabor Mate talks a lot about this in his writings. 
what um what, what psychedelics, psychedelics does with trauma is because you, it removes shame, blame, and guilt from your uh, thinking process. So you're able to look back at these experiences, removing shame, blame, and guilt, and maybe finding um, an understanding or a peace with whatever that is, so that you can own it, accept it, and move forward. I don't know of anything else that does it other than again years and years and years of therapy. Oh, exactly. That's what. Uh... You know, always got to be pushing the boundaries. And so everything that Matt said about his books, about, you know, how to get certain amount of information is going to be in the show notes. But as we wrap everything up, is there any one last piece of information that you want to share? I would, I would, I would share that whether it's looking at my book, whether it's looking at the Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind on Netflix or his book, just be aware that, there, that these medicines are powerful. Um, and they are relatively safe, but there are still things that can be done to reduce the risk and keep yourself safe while using these, these medicines and just educate yourself, whichever medicine you pick to make sure that you're doing it as, as, uh, with as much reduced risk as possible. That being said, when we look at harm to self and harm to others of different medicines, alcohol is like a 73 on the scale and mushrooms are a three. So relatively this is a safer playground to, uh, to, to explore. But again, just be aware of the, the risks that are associated with each of these different medicines and make sure that you find, uh, find the right one for you. <laughs> yeah, you just reminded me. I just did an episode about three episodes back. I think it's episode 91 where I say, is alcohol fun or is it poison? You know, and it can actually be both uh, and it depends on how you go with it. So tell the audience in one last time, okay, name of your book and where to get it. Psychedelics for Everyone. It's available anywhere uh, and everywhere that books are sold. There's an audible version as well. And then my website is mattzeman.com. That's where uh, lots of little videos. Uh, there's a free guide to microdosing and, uh, and easy ways to get in touch with me are all on my website. I encourage everyone to always seek out more knowledge read more books, listen to more podcasts, get around people, because we're all on this journey to try to get the best out of ourselves. It's one of the reasons I came up with my course, The 12 Steps Explained, to show the 12 steps in a different light in something that's more simplified, easy to grasp, much more uplifting, positive to get to the core so you can live your best life. And with that, we are going to conclude this episode of the 1% in Recovery podcast.